0: I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories every Monday and Thursday of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. So today we will be speaking with Jamie Navarro. Or Pastor Jay, as I like to call him. He is a husband to his beautiful wife, Camille, and they have been married for how many years, Jamie?
1: 16. 13 married this April and 16 together.
0: I was going to say 17 years. I was pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) They are a blended family and share five amazing children. He is the pastor of New Life Covenant Southwest Campus in Chicago. So we've known each other about 11 years. I know you've Mm -hmm. known and since you guys were teenagers, you kind of lived in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We were recently together at a family wedding in Gatlinburg, Tennessee.
1: Yeah. And David and J. Nancy.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Pastor Jay was gonna officiate mm-hmm. the ceremony. And it was very high in a mountain and there was a very crazy snowstorm, and we didn't know if we were gonna live, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah,
1: that's a whole nother testimony. <laughs>
0: So, right before the ceremony, you know, we were all getting ready at our cabin and and we had a chance to just kind of sit and just reflect on, you know, the wedding and we were just sharing things. And then all of a sudden, you started to share your testimony with my son who was in the room. And that really sparked something in him and just gave him kind of a new perspective on who God is in your life. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to go back to the beginning of that life-changing story.
1: Yeah, obviously the the conversation we had that day, Elias, just kind of in his innocent, I mean, even though he's he's a young man now, he's not a little boy, in his innocent inquiry of, I remember I think he asked me right there in front of you guys, he said, hey, Jay, how, how did everything happen with you when you got shot? Or, no, he asked me, how do you know that God is real to you? That's and funny. Yeah, that's what he asked. He said, how, you know, when did God become real to you or how did God become real to you? And I proceeded to share with him, you know, my out of many testimonies that that marking testimony, that changing point testimony story, however you want to categorize it. But for me, it was a defining moment. And it was February 26 of 1993 when I was shot and, you know, I was left on a sidewalk for dead. At that time, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in religion or with any type of spiritual formation. I was a kid from the hood, which is where I knew Robert, your husband, and mm-hmm. he was a little older than me. He grew up with my sister. So we grew up in the hood and, and hood people do hood things. you know. <laughs> I, I hate to say it like that. I don't want it to sound too street, but I also want it to sound honest. and, Absolutely. and Hood people do hood things. And so that night I was, again, lost in my ways. I had just turned seventeen years old and I'm walking home from a party in the middle of a snowstorm I was under the influence of weed and marijuana I was drinking I was under the influence of prescription pills and back painkillers that I needed at the time for a football injury Nevertheless, a car rolled up on me pulled up on the side of me and began to gangbang they began to flash signals and in Chicago, you know, they'll ask you this thing, like, what do you, what do you rep? What do you represent? Or who do you represent? And at that point, you know, most people would speak about their gang. I was not involved in a gang at the time, but nevertheless, the driver pulled out a gun and I took off running for my life as he takes off after me. And this is all happening in in seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's taken off after me, he's shooting as I'm running, he's shooting As he's driving. And I remember as I was approaching an alley and I'm getting, this is all happening right in front of my sister's house, by the way, which is the the crazy part because nobody heard not one single gunshot due to them having their surround sound so loud in their home. But as I was approaching that alley, I remembered if I run into this alley, they're going to hit me with the car and it's over. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I remember kind of thinking, well, you know, strategically, let me go the opposite way of the car in that I attempt to do it. I slip and I fall in the snow and in the ice. And as I fall, he jumped out of the car. And I remember him reaching over the hood of his car as the door was open and he shot two more times. And he hit me in my back, very, very close to my spine. And I was I was immediately temporarily paralyzed. I hit the floor. He shot a few more times, bullets went in around my head. And he takes off and then that's where the tragedy kind of took a real, back then to me, and you've heard the story, Madeline, Mm
0: -hmm. where it
1: took a very weird, supernatural twilight zone turn at the time. Now I know that it was nothing but God. But at the moment I remember laying on the ground and there was this terror that was in me. I remember this screech that came out of my mouth of just total panic and total fear. And I remember very, very clearly, me screaming out, "Jesus, help me! Lord, help me!" At the moment, I went from laying down in the snow to standing up on the fence. There was no in between. I didn't get up and crawl. It just kind of like happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as I'm kind of holding on to the fence and the wall, making my way back towards the front door of my sister's house to knock on the door, I start hearing this guy screaming across the 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 park from where it happened, Blackhawk Park. Naturally, I thought it was the guy coming back to shoot me, you know, coming to finish off the job, if you will. And I began to kick, frantically kick the door. And as he got closer, I could hear the snow crunching under his boots. And I covered my head up and he kind of hugged, bear hugged me from behind. And as I looked down, as I seen his arms come under my stomach, I looked down and it said La Santa Biblia, which means the Holy Bible. He was holding a Bible in his hand. And he said, Hey, man, I saw everything. I'm here. I'm with you. Man, I remember as he said that I kind of just felt this peace, you know, fast forward. My sister opens up the door. He carries me in. My brother-in-law, my cousin at the time who was alive, he eventually died from gun violence three years later, not too far from where I got shot. You know him as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he grew up with us as well, my cousin Angel. And Mm -hmm. as I'm laying in the house waiting for the ambulance to get there, My sister asks me what happened, Jay, you know, and this is where kind of the supernatural part came in. And I said, well, the guy that carried me in, he saw everything, the guy with the mustache, the guy with the Bible. And she looked at me with this perplexed look, like totally astounded, totally totally flabbergasted. And she said, Jay, you walked in by yourself. Hmm. And I can see him, Madeline. I can literally Mm -hmm. see him. And I'm pointing at him and I'm saying, no, Janet, my older sister, Janet, I see him right there, the guy. And now she's thinking I'm losing it. She's screaming, no, Jay, Jaime, you walked in by yourself. Wow. And at the moment- You could
0: see him though. You could see him
1: him as if you were standing right in front of me. I could see him there with his Bible, a little mustache, a little pushback hair. And then the ambulance came, they popped me in the ambulance and That night, I shared this in a recent testimony that I released, which you've seen, Madeline, and we've talked a little bit about. It's a piece of of my story, and it was a series of words that were spoken into my life that night. It was a series of things. It was a series of of phrases that, that were said to me that night by people, doctors, nurses, paramedics that really resounded with me so many years later. That kind of right. became the springboard for what we're doing today.
0: Absolutely. Um, and
1: I remember being in the ambulance. I remember hearing my mother crying. My mom's crying. She's wailing louder than the siren, like <laughs> a good, you know, Puerto Rican mama. And right, she's just right. praying for her baby in total desperation. She's just this shocked that this is happening. She's just saying, God, please don't take my baby. And I remember asking the paramedic, hey, I'm going to die, right? And he kind of just ignored me. I asked him a few times and he was, Mm -hmm. he was totally ignoring me. Very professional uh, Latino guy. And Mm -hmm. about the third or fourth time I said, Hey, I'm going to die. Right. And I remember him like pounding his, his fist on my chest. And he said, nobody dies on my bus. Do you understand me? Nobody dies on my bus. And the crazy thing was that I believed him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and, and I've said this, Madeline, he could have told me, yeah, you're going to die. Just like the guy that died this morning. He could have said, you're going to die like the other six guys that have died this month or this week. But for some reason, he chose to tell me that I was not going to die. And I believed him. And it took the edge off of that terror, that fear. And, you know, we bash into the emergency room and and the doors through there. And I remember getting there, they're cutting all my clothes off and they start sketching on my chest and drawing on my chest with like a Sharpie marker. And I'm asking them what they're going to do. And they're asking me questions. Who did it? And. I remember them putting that mask on my face and me going under. And while I was under, I very clearly, again, the supernatural part of this thing, the God part of this thing, I remember seeing myself from a bird's eye view this is in 1993 this is before all these movies came out giving you these things like this is real you know like you see it in movies you're like wow it sounds like he's explaining a movie but i lived it before half of these movies came out so when i watched the movies i'm like yeah i know what that's like but i remember seeing them operate on me and and then i didn't wake up for about another three or four days Mm -hmm. and when i wake up i have the tube in my mouth and i can't move Uh, when i got shot the bullet destroyed my entire kidney, It blew up my kidney, completely severed it, not salvageable,
0: blew up mm-hmm. half
1: of my liver. My diaphragm was reconstructed. My left lung collapsed. It missed, it went, did all that damage, destroys my diaphragm, misses my heart and lodges itself in my left shoulder. And So, so basically,
0: what- I mean, basically, you could have easily died, even from one even two of those injuries. I mean, you could have died. You could have died that day.
1: Any of them should have been the death blow, you know, and and the fact that it was near the spine should have been a paralyzing injury for life. Um, They did exploratory surgery on me and that's exactly what it was. They were exploring. I didn't have an exit wound, so I Mm -hmm. didn't bleed out. I bled internally. And then, you know, once they did all of that, I was in the hospital and I remember being in the hospital room with the tube in my mouth and there was this nurse that she was taking care of me all night long. And just the sweetest, just the sweetest person. And she had this permeating s- smell, scent, aroma, if you will, of roses. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it wasn't like a perfume. It was just like the whole room was inundated. But this woman took care of me. She put Carmex on my lips, which I, I use regularly. <laughs> she gave me ice chips and she just took excellent care of me throughout the night. And I remember that so clearly. And then that morning they came in, they removed the tube out of my mouth. This is about four days into the whole ordeal. And I remember the nurse telling me, Hey, we removed the tube out of your mouth. You're probably going to have trouble speaking. Why don't you try speaking? And I spoke fairly quickly and I said, yeah, you know, she said, how do you feel? And I said, really good. The nurse that took care of me last night, she did an amazing job. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me kind of like the way my sister looked at me perplexed. And she's like, I'm the nurse that's been on call all night. And I'm like, no, the nurse that smelled like roses. The mm-hmm. Filipino lady, I told her, she was Filipino. And she told me, I've been on all night. I'm doing this because I'm about to give up my shift. Wow. And it was again one of one of those moments that at the at the time I didn't grasp. Right. But these things were all adding chapters to my story, if you will. Shortly after that, you know, the kind of the the process of healing started. I was operated on my front side, completely opened up. I had chest tubes on one side. I had these cleansing tubes that were cleaning the area where my right kidney was. So the only thing I could do was lay on my left side because then my back is where the bullet wound was. Mm -hmm. So I began to heal. And I remember my sisters telling me the story of when the doctors went into the emergency room to tell my parents that they had lost my right kidney. And my, my mom doesn't speak a lot of English. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of Spanish and the doctor was speaking in English. So when he comes into the emergency room, he's just nodding his head. Like, Hey, we could not save the kidney. My mom connected. Yeah. You know where I'm going. My mom (laughs) connected that with, we lost your boy. And my Mm -hmm. mom passes out, she falls out and it was just total chaos. And then at the time I had, I have an aunt, but at the time I had a Pentecostal aunt from Puerto Rico. That was here and she was in that emergency room. She didn't speak a a lick of English. And as that doctor got up and began to tell my mom, you know, that they lost my right kidney, that they didn't know if I was going to walk again. Even if I made it through the night, they weren't sure that I was going to walk again. And my aunt popped out of that chair full of the spirit of the living God.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: she spoke into me and she said in Spanish, El no puede morir. Which you and I know, yeah, she got up and she said, he can't die. It wasn't a, it wasn't a question. It was a statement of truth, prophetic statement from a powerful woman of God that said he cannot die because he has to minister to the world and worship over the nations. Wow. And so. So she
0: spoke into existence, basically. She
1: spoke it. She spoke it at that moment. And, you know, I heard, I heard about that months later right. as I began to heal. And as I began to, to get better. And then I remember after that, and then I'll kind of, I'll it back to you. Now, I remember after that, that's where I knew like, man, this thing marked my life, but there was still something that was missing in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: marked me. I was shook to my core. I knew that I could not go back to being the same Jay but there was still something missing Mm -hmm. and it it's crazy Madeline because outside of my oldest daughter being born maybe a year and a half later, they gave me true purpose. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until fast forward almost 10 years later that my now wife at the time, my girlfriend took me to a church service, at Clemente high school, where we are spiritual sons and daughters, you know, under our pastor, Pastor Choco. And it was at Clemeny High School where Pastor Choco was preaching. And I remember him saying the names of God. And he was saying, you know, he's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the strong tower. He's the lilies of the valley. And then Madeline, I remember him saying, he's the roses of Sharon. Hmm. And when he said he's the roses of Sharon, 10 years later, it took me back to that emergency room. Right. Where that lady smelled like roses and those roses stood with me all night long when I it was touch and go when I didn't know if I was going to make it. And it was there where all those things started now. All the dots started lining. When he said it was the roses of Sharon, it hit me like I had been kept not by doctors, not by nurses, not by you know an ambulance. I had been kept because God had marked me. I just right. hadn't realized it yet. I hadn't so realized long- it.
0: How long did it take you to actually recover, you know, from seventeen year.
1: Yeah, it took about a year, about three to six months of physical therapy okay. um, and about a full year before I kind of got back to, you know, full throttle. But it was a lot of mental stuff that was going on with me too. I started dealing with anxiety at the time. I couldn't be in, in large crowds. I couldn't have my back to a door in a restaurant because mm-hmm. it would okay. develop anxiety. Um, right. But it took about a year, practically. I say I'm still recovering now because it's just now that I'm really letting the story come out and right. let it be used for God's glory at a bigger scale, you know?
0: Yeah. And what it, yeah. what inspired you to keep moving forward? Because you and I both know, and I'm sure people are going to relate to this, you know, in any major city, that gang violence in Chicago is no joke. And mm-hmm. it's been going on for years and years So what inspired you, you know, to keep moving forward? Because like you said, you you weren't in a gang. You weren't part of a gang. And there's kids getting shot every day in the city of Chicago that have nothing to do with gangs. That are innocent bystanders that are walking down the street just like you do. And, you know, we hear this every weekend. Somebody's getting hurt. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to move forward when this happened to you?
1: Yeah, yeah. For me, it was two things. It was... The act within itself, those encounters, that man that carried me in my sister's house, that nurse that smelled like roses, you know, my aunt's prophetic words, even though I didn't know what they meant, I know they meant something. Right. And so there was now this weight on my shoulder to figure out the why. And then, like I said, at the beginning of this, three years later, my cousin is murdered, Hmm. who's a brother to me. We live together. His dad and my mom are twins. And so oh, we man. carried we carried the relationship that our parents carried. And so him and I were, were literally two days, our birthdays are two days apart. But he dies three years later. And then shortly after that, my oldest daughter, Destiny, was born. And so it was the things within my own testimony, losing him and then gaining my daughter in the midst of that tragedy of losing him, realizing now that, I didn't have to survive that. I could have died just like him. Right. And then in 20, in 2006, 2003, I meet my wife
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that was, I say the love of my life. Camille introduced me to the love of my life, Jesus. Wow. Um, And she took me to a church service, Macklemeny high school. And I heard, you know, pastor Choco preach and I got into the presence of God. And for me, that was the clear starting point of that of the answers for the why I had survived that night. And then all those things started coming through getting up under the word and listening to the word of God and getting around men of God that began to have similar stories to mine, if not with getting shot, gangbanging, uh, mm-hmm. coming out of drug addiction, coming out of womanizing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, again, we're we're still living in the hood, we're in humble mm-hmm. park. So we're hearing the worst of the worst in the stories. And I began to connect with men. And then for me, outside of just God stepping into my life and taking the remote control away from me, and then at that point, my wife and taking over our lives was submitting to a discipleship of two or three men at the time that put their hands on me. And they said, we're going to fight for your life like it's our own life. Mm. We're going to fight for your family like it's our family. And I found that in our senior pastor, Pastor Choco, in Pastor Rico, who's one of our associate pastors. And it was just some guys that got in my life with a hammer and a chisel. This wasn't very nice. They inserted their themselves in my life and they said, we see the greatness in you, Jay. You have a, you have an ability. You have an anointing. Even through all of that, Madeline, I was a singer. I've always sang. So I had a gifting to sing, but I wasn't using it. And they tapped into all of that. And that was kind of like the genesis of Jamie as the man of God with a new purpose. And that was the springboard. But that testimony of getting shot from that day forward became the platform and the lenses through which I saw life through that. I had been given a second chance and I had to figure out the why.
0: So imagine if your wife hadn't invited you to church that day, you know, imagine if you guys would have still been living life thinking that I got this,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: we can do mm-hmm. it. Cause right. Mm-hmm. We always think that, right. I got this under mm-hmm. control. You know, it's mm-hmm. all about the control. If she had not invited you to church that day, where do you think you would be right now today?
1: I'd be dead. I tell my wife that all the time. I my—I remember telling my wife in the parking lot of Clemente High School, as we were getting ready to go into church, I said, I'm going to go in here to show you that not even God can change me. Wow. And I think God like sat up in his chair. like, Who does this little punk think he is trying to right. punk me? But I, I would have been dead, Madeline. I was slowly losing control of my life through drugs, through partying. I was an entertainer. I I was the lead singer of a salsa band. So, you know, for me, weekends was drinking, partying and nightclubs, weekends drinking and, you know, partying in nightclubs. It was a revolving door. And I definitely would have died if not, I I definitely wouldn't be the man or the father. I wouldn't be a source of inspiration. I wouldn't be a source of going to in any way, shape or form. Her decision to seek Christ saved me and, you know, I know we're doing this, this conversation here, but I'll, I'm going to throw this out there, Madeline, and say, if there's a wife that's listening to this, that has a boyfriend or fiance or a husband, and she, she believes even he, if even if he doesn't, I tell you, have enough faith for the both of you. Because my wife did, even though I wasn't ready for the change, God partnered with her to partner with me, you know?
0: That's right. Um,
1: and it it was, it was all a part of the divine plan of God. Yeah.
0: And I know you've got three young adult children already and and you've got two little ones at home. As your kids were growing up, you started sharing some of the story, you know, what did they think? Because they don't know that, that Jamie, you know, they don't know that young teenager. They know the man that they've seen over the last maybe 10 to 15 years, you know, that they can see how you've grown and how you've evolved yeah. What did you tell them about this story?
1: With the kids, we're a blended family, my wife and I. So when I meet my wife, I have two daughters and she has a son. And so, you know, we, we like to say add water to us and we became insta-family. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, like oatmeal, just add water, you know, and right. insta-oatmeal. With us, it was just add water and insta-family. But with the older ones, you know, like you said, they caught a glimpse of our old life. Right because they were about five or six, but they don't remember it at all. And I just always used my story with them as I shared it with them and they got older. I would always use it like, like, you don't have to look far to see a miracle because your dad is a miracle. Like, you know, the word impossible or or, or the word not or, or can't, my whole thing was if God did it for me, And not that my testimony is better than anybody, but my thing was, if God brought me back from death, Madeline, Mm -hmm. you know, my thing was after that, other things for me, just, this is just the way my mind works. When people would tell me, oh, my son is, you know, my son is out on the streets. I used to think in my mind, like, oh, that's it. (laughs) Right. Like, you know, because I, I've seen God do the extreme with me. So when somebody would say, you know, we're on the verge of divorce in my mind, I would think with my level of faith, like, oh, that's it. Right. Oh, that's nothing for God. And I would try to present that to my kids that way that whenever they went through something, just to remember kind of what God did in my life. And, you know, I don't know how much it impacted them in their, in their overall lives if they think about it much, but I know that I let them know how much it meant for me and how it changed me. And now the new, the newer kids, (laughs) the younger (laughs) kids, which are 12 and 10, they just saw the story, you know, on the video and they sat with me and my wife and, Mm -hmm. and they were, you know, they, they were looking at it like, wow. And i told them a few times. And so the story's alive and well in my family, um, because they need to know that, that it's a point of miracle. It's a point of inspiration and it's where God started for me and where I've hung on to him, you know, up until now, I've continued to hang on to that situation to give me faith, to get me through the difficult times. And sometimes, Madeline, I'll say this, when you have no faith in a season, you have to go back to old faith and be remembered of the one you had. Right. Or when Absolutely. there's not a current miracle, you have to go back to a fa- a past miracle and be reminded of the one you had. So, yeah.
0: That's right. And that's so, tr- so true. I think w- the premise of me wanting to do this podcast and why it's so important is because people forget, you know, sometimes we think like, I can't get through that. This is too hard for me. I can't do this, you know, in my own strength, obviously. Mm -hmm. But in order to have courage, there needs to be fear. Mm -hmm. And I just taught a group of people last week on this. And because if we're not fearful, then we have no reason to want to fight and stand up and say, no, I can do this. You know, yeah, that's good. For some people, you know, they don't know God. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's like to have faith or they've never had a relationship with God. And so the idea is that, you know, for some, their reason for going on is going to be maybe something different. Mm
1: -hmm. For
0: others, hopefully it will be that it'll draw them closer to God, especially right now in the current state that we're living, you know, we're in April 2020, you know, for those people that don't have that thing that is carrying them through every single day. That hearing a story like this could give them hope and say, Hey, you know what? Maybe I need to, you know, get into my closet or go into a little corner and just have a relationship and talk to God.
1: Mm-hmm, you know, absolutely. maybe that's
0: where I need hope. What do you say to those people that are going through this current state of of the nation and say, Hey, how can you get through this? You know, where can you find peace? Where where can you find hope?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's no surprised we're, we're in a pandemic, the COVID-19, the coronavirus, and so many lives lost. This thing hit us like a ton of bricks. And the one thing that I preached and I shared with some leaders, I preached yesterday and I, and I shared with some leaders on, on a Saturday, some married couples, I said, five, 10 years from now, people are going to talk about pre-COVID or post-COVID, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How was your life pre-COVID? How was life post-COVID? And I was telling people that this is either going to be an interruption or it's going to be bothersome to some people, right. you know, it's, it's going to be like, wow, this, this is really inconvenience is the word I'm looking for, either an interruption or an inconvenience. And right. I think anyone listening to this from an evangelical perspective or from a practical perspective, like you said, is that you have to make this a defining moment in your life. You have right. to let this mark you, you cannot come out of this the same way you went into if you did, then you've learned nothing, then we've learned nothing. And so where our help comes from the things that really are important, Madeline, we have been locked up in the house. And people have been doing things that they haven't done in a while, i.e. playing board games with your kids, Um, i.e. watching home videos. And we, we learned in this time, what we didn't need. I I don't think we learned so much what we needed. I think we learned what we didn't need and what wasn't important. And so if I'm speaking to someone, you know, it's let this mark your life, that you come out of here better, that you come out of here stronger with a better understanding, with a desire not to take life for granted. There are people that laughed at this COVID-19 when it first started, Madeline, that are no longer with us.
0: That's right.
1: There are people that scoffed at the idea of a mask and gloves that right now are not with us and their families are lamenting them. So when we do, and I speak that, you know, in faith, when we come out on the other side of this, we can say that we're a generation of pandemic survivors, right? You know, and that sounds almost weird. The fact that I even said it sounds weird, but everyone should be inspired to come out of this on the other side of it and having chosen to let this be a defining moment of your life where you decided, you know what? I'm going back to school. You know what? I'm going to start that business. You know what? I'm going to stop procrastinating. You know what? I'm going to go back and tell my dad that I love him because he got sick That's and right. I couldn't see, it. you know, just all those mm-hmm. things that we did. And this is a time to close the gaps on all the silliness in our lives and really bring to close the things that matter. So for me, it's that we all make this a defining moment in our lives. When we look back and we say, yeah, you know, in 2020, we had that pandemic, but you know what? I wasn't defined by that. I was defined by what I did afterwards. I started that business. I did this, I did that, whatever it is, you know, and obviously all those things, we want to attempt to do them to bring God glory and to minister His name, but just to live because too many of us have been existing and it's Absolutely. time to live.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that because it is so true. I guess my last question is, what What was the reason? You know, Why did you think it was important, one, to not only share your story with me, but share your recently released video testimony?
1: I, I thought it was timing. I think God is a God, not I think, God is a God of timing right? God is a God of timing. Nothing happens by accident. And God cannot be slowed down and God cannot be sped up. We see that in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus cannot be sped up. He could not be slowed down. He had right timing. He knew the timing. And I think the timing of it was right in the sense that people are looking for hope, Madeline. Mm-hmm. People that normally don't look for hope are looking for hope. People that normally don't mention faith Are seeking faith. People are looking for a tangible story that they could sink their teeth into. And they could say, Man, you know what? That feels right. That sounds right. If he did it for him, he could do it for me. Why not me? My question for you is, why not you? Why can't you be the next story? You know, and and story doesn't have to be this, you know, near-death experience. There are so many stories about people who grew up in bad homes, Madeline and stories of divorce and stories of of addiction. And here, let me throw this one at you. Then there are stories of people that didn't go through any of that, that God has spared them. They've never been divorced. They've never been abused. They've never been in an accident. They've never done drugs. I'm telling you, you have a story too. And your story is God kept you.
0: Exactly. I was Um, thinking um, about that earlier today.
1: I was thinking, I remember you saying that. Mm -hmm. a
0: while back as you were sharing a story and I was thinking of that today in preparation for our talk today. And I was like, you know, it's great for people to share their courageous stories, but then there are those people that will thank God that they've never been through anything.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what a blessing, you know, what a blessing. I love that. So I definitely want, you know, I know that you're doing a lot of amazing things. And before we wrap up at, uh, New Life Covenant at the Southwest Campus.
1: Yeah yes. And so
0: I wanted you to be able to share with people hey, how do they connect with the Southwest Campus if you've got some people that live you know on the south side of Chicago or in the near suburbs and they want to come visit or just connect with you guys on your website um, for prayer and then also you know where can people see your video testimony if they want you know to kind of put a name and a face to who Pastor Jamie Navarro is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the Southwest Campus, New Life Covenant Southwest, you can go to Facebook to New Life Covenant Southwest or Instagram and follow us there. The stories on YouTube under New Life Covenant Southwest. I mean, you can subscribe to our channel. And yeah, but, you know, we're on all the social media outlets and they can find the story on YouTube. That's the easiest place to find it right now.
0: Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that this story is going to impact people, <laughs> you know, I'm believing yeah. all over the world. Um, yeah. It may not be exactly the same, but the faith and the hope mm-hmm. is the same. It's people, yeah. like you said, looking for something different. I've never seen people talk more about God on TV in my life Yes. than I have in the last couple of weeks. And let me tell yeah. you, it excites me. It makes me yeah. so happy because yeah. it's like normal now. It's not that thing that you have to be silent and quiet and shh. you can't talk about that. You know, you can't mention that. And so I love that. And for whatever reasons this is happening, you know, this is our chance to do something different, to make a change. Like you said, what's our post-COVID life going to look like? And that's kind of what I want to leave our listeners with today. Thanks for being on the Courageous Podcast. I know that God is going to continue to use you and your story. I know that you are going to touch people all over the world. And I look forward to us connecting once again to kind of see what your life is looking like post-COVID.
1: I'm excited for you. I just got to throw this at the end, because I know we've been talking about me, but I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what you're doing. I believe you're going to tap into an entire generation of women that are inspired by you. And so as your brother, we're family. You know, you love my family. I love yours. I would not rather have done this with anybody else, but you have felt like a conversation in the living room, like it did in Tennessee. So that's, that's awesome. right.
0: Thank yep. you so much. All right, Thank Pastor Jay.
1: Much love. Yeah, okay. we'll talk
0: soon. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at Courageous Podcast 2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous.